I'm Bryce Button, and you're listening to episode five of the Business Office. Today, we're doing something a little different. We're joined by Adam Tilford, a Webster Groves alumni and the co-owner of Mission Taco. We recorded this live with my students in Zoom earlier today, but I forgot to hit the record button until a few seconds into the interview. I kick it off by asking Adam about his favorite Turkey Day memory, and then from there, we go into discussing how challenging it's been to run a restaurant during the COVID-19 his background and his story of becoming an entrepreneur and the new Kirkwood location that's set to open as soon as restaurants are back in business. Let's get into it. Adam is in the middle of talking about his Turkey Day memories. A kick, even though I was playing soccer the same season, like, you know, you have to come to practice much. So I was the punter and the place kicker. And uh, yeah, I mean, I favorite memory. I don't know. We got our butts <laughs> kicked at Kirkwood that year. So I remember that vividly. <laughs> Uh, gotcha. Well, so sorry, sorry that didn't work out very well. Yeah. You guys had a hot streak there through the 2000s where you guys kind of dominated and then things kind of yeah. came back the other way for us. Yeah, for sure. We've had good soccer programs too. Absolutely. You guys have yeah, my, my nephew is on the, for a long time. my nephew was on the state uh, winning team a few years back. So that's cool. So talk about a little bit about how you kind of got into the restaurant business. Is this something you've always had a passion for uh, when you were back in high school or is this something that you kind of stumbled into or grew into? Tell us a little bit, of, just a little bit about your history and, um, and then we can kind of work towards what got you to where you're at and talk about a little bit later about what you're doing now. Sure. So I've always just had a pretty strong work ethic all through high school. Like my, I guess my, I think I was 14 when I got my first job at the Emos in Webster, actually, uh, washing dishes and, and cutting cutting pizzas. Um, just lived not far from there and would walk up to work. So uh, I've always I've always been in the restaurant business. Um, uh, had a job at Tippins. I don't even know if Tippins is around anymore. Uh, but, they, I know they are in Kansas City. I don't know if okay. there's any over here because I know we always have some of those pies for Thanksgiving show up yeah, right. in our Thanksgiving. Yeah, so they had like a, the full service restaurant in McKenzie Point, and I worked there for a while. And then um, so I uh, I ended up sticking around for college. My uh, father was in the military in the Coast Guard, so we actually didn't move to St. Louis. We lived here once in the mid '80s. They got transferred here, and we lived in Webster. Um, and then we moved back in 1990, which was my freshman year of high school. <clears throat> gotcha. So I had always moved around growing up. So I was like, man. I've been here for four years. I can finally call a place home. So I ended up uh, uh, getting into the uh, five and a half year master's program at SLU for physical therapy. So it was freshman entry, five and a half years, couple summers, and you come out with your master's. Okay. Um, and even during that time, I was I was working in in restaurants. My my older brother is my partner. He's a chef, and he was the um, uh, assistant chef at well, it was the Keel Center at the time. I don't even know what is it now. Scott Trade Enterprise uh, Enterprise, Enterprise Center. Now, yeah, yeah Scott it's Trade's Enterprise. All, Scott now. Trade's all gone. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so you know, I'd, I'd work there, um, just working the buffets, prepping in the evening, games and stuff like that. And um, eventually, I didn't. I've always been. Um, I don't know. Failure for me was always very difficult. And I think when I got to college, I, I didn't. I didn't end up liking my major. And I think I was too proud to to really change it or you know make make that adjustment. And I think that was a a big turning point in my life. In that. You know, in high school, you just do what you do. You take your classes, you join some clubs, and then in college, you really need to hone in on, on what you want your major to be and a lot more decisions. And 
and uh, I kind of struggled with that a little bit, and uh, I actually ended up uh, dropping out after uh, was it two and a half years at SLU, and I entered a management program um, at the Keel Center at the time. They were operated by a company called Levy Restaurants out of Chicago, and they're about 50-50, they're a big group, 50% 50, 50 of what they do is like venues like America Center, and, and um, they're still at Enterprise Center uh, operating there, and then the other 50% of what they do is restaurants. They don't have any in St. Louis, they're mostly in Chicago area. Um, so I entered a, a management program there, and after uh, I think it was six months, um, I became an assistant chef and started working uh, there. And at the Dome, I, I did one season for the Rams, um, and it was great. Uh, you know, I, I love the restaurant business, the the hustle, the bustle, the grind, the camaraderie with uh, you know just you're, you're kind of in the trenches, right? And mm -hmm. and and it's 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 very just I don't know humbling and and blue collar and just, I don't know, it's just, it, it, there's a lot to, to enjoy about the restaurant business if, if you're that type of person. Right. Um, however, working for this big corporate entity, I was working, you know, 70, 80 hours a week, you know, making at the time, I don't know, 30 grand. I, I, when I worked it out hourly, I think I was making about three and a half, four dollars an hour, uh, which was terrible. Um, so I ended up, uh, getting out of the business and, uh, a buddy of mine, uh, he, he worked for this company that was doing, uh, just basically phone, uh, uh, phone sales. We were selling extended car warranties. I did that for a year, got a job as a, uh, a headhunter, as a technical recruiter. <laughs> and for two years, yeah, that was great. I learned all about technology, you know, from like I could speak the language. I couldn't code anything, you know, you know. But you know, we could talk about C plus plus and Java and, and Oracle DBAs, and, and it was fun. Uh, actually, being a recruiter was great because companies would have jobs they need to fill, and I would go out and recruit. It was like a you know, I'd be calling into companies trying to to find people that could do these jobs and recruit them out. So that was kind of fun. Cool. Um, did that for about two years till so the technology boom crashed. I had a stack of resumes, you know, like this high of people looking for jobs, but I got paid by companies that were hiring and no one was hiring. So I actually got an email from a buddy um, back when I lived in Virginia um, in, in, in middle school. Uh, I stayed in touch with this one guy, Kyle. He sent me an email. He's like, hey, I'm moving to Maui for six months. Do you want to go? Like, uh, yeah, let me, let me call you tonight when I get home. <laughs> Um, so, so I, I, I quickly, like within, uh, 40 days, I, uh, I had a house here that I owned and, and had a buddy renting it, got another buddy to move in for six months. And, uh, yeah, I flew out to Maui and, uh, and lived out there. It was kind of crazy. We, the trip was scheduled prior to, uh, 9-11, um, 2001. And then, uh, but, but I, our flight was October, um, what was it? October 1st. So I was flying to Maui to live, which is, you know, Maui's all tourism and tourism was just dead. So I got lucky when we got out there that I had the culinary background and I just found a restaurant that needed a, needed a cook. I, I applied as a cook and then like in like two weeks, I was the assistant chef there, which was pretty cool. Um, so I did that for six months, got, you know, rock fever, wanted to come home, see the family. My mother sells real estate. Sorry, this is a long story of my no, you're good. You're good. I've, I've done many different things. Um, 
my mom's uh, in real estate. She's always sold for Coal Banker Gundaker. So I actually, uh, when I moved back to St. Louis, I sold real estate. I was in the Kirkwood office in the Woodbine Center. Um, did that for many years, kind of working with my mom and then, and then built my own uh, book of business. And in the meantime, my brother, who I said was a chef, just was continuing to be a chef in St. Louis and had worked a lot of great places, Crazy Fish and uh, um, Casey Real Rock. He opened that. And uh, uh, anyway, he, he had opened a place in the Central West End. Um, Alboro Loco is there now, if you know where that location is, but it was called Graffiti Global Grill. And they had this, there's this other little, anyway, there was this other little spot down on South Euclid and he called me up. He's like, Hey man, how would you like to open up a taco little taco spot? Like when we were in, when we lived in uh, California, I was born in San Diego. And I was like, yeah, it sounds awesome. I'm selling real estate. I'm doing all right. Got a little money, you know? And then, and then of course the idea of owning a restaurant is for some reason, just, it, it sounds great. It's terrible. <laughs> but it's, it sounds so awesome to own a restaurant. Like, I've definitely gone through phases where I'm like, man, I want to open a place that does this because nobody around here does it. And then I look at the hours and I'm like, no, I'm not ever touching that industry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They say, how, how, what's the best way to, to, to get a million dollars in the restaurant business? Start with two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, yeah, so this little spot down in, in the West End on South Euclid, right by Barnes Hospital was available and these guys were just looking to get out of the lease and sell the stuff they had so we me and a buddy uh, put in a little money and bought everything they had and and you know i i've always been a do-it-yourself i was in there building counters retiling the floor with my brother and uh i don't know we got tortilleria mexican kitchen open that was our first mexican restaurant all right uh back in 2000 what year is it 2004. that was back in 2004 wow okay. um yeah, in 2004, we opened Tortieri up, and it was terrible. I was, I mean, I knew how to work in restaurants, but working, you know, I knew how to run a restaurant, but what I quickly learned is that running a business is not the same as running a restaurant. I could, you know, I, I knew, I'm a jack of all trades in the restaurant. I could cook, I could serve, um, do dishes, you know, clean the toilets, whatever, whatever you need. I can do anything in the restaurant, but and I didn't know how to look at, at a P&L, you know, I didn't know about marketing, um, just, just managing budgets and stuff like that or writing a budget. I didn't have any of that. So it was just kind of like had this mentality of, of, you know, if you, if you cook it, they will come and it just didn't happen. We were <laughs> just losing money. I had, you know, built up a little bit of, um, equity in my home. I sold my home to, to pay off debt. I was, I was still selling real estate. I was like trying to sell houses just to make payroll. <laughs> it was a bad situation. It's a little bit backwards. Um, yeah. Um, but what it did have, get me to do was like really just learn the business. And, and that's what I did. I, I put my head down and, and just saw what others were doing in St. Louis. Uh, a guy I knew in high school, Chris Summers, had moved back and opened a pie pizzeria pizza chain, which, you know, was like an instant success saw what he was doing on social media, things like that. Just learning these different aspects of, of ways to grow the business. Um, you know, just started reading everything, you know, taught myself, um, QuickBooks, uh, just everything. Just, just really just taught, taught myself the business end of it. And, uh, and I got good at it. Um, and I, and I enjoyed it. Uh, so Tortilleria, though, was a tiny little place, and uh, it made a little money. It did fine. And then um, in 2010, my brother and I opened 
uh, what was considered the first sort of upscale Mexican restaurant in St. Louis, and that was Milagro, Modern Mexican uh, in Webster Groves. And we had that from 2010, 2018, um, we shut that down. And, you know, at that time we got Best Mexican in St. Louis, Jason was getting Best Chef, and we were really kind of putting our names on the map. Um, and we decided to say, hey, all right, cool. So we've built this kind of little hole in the wall tortilleria, you know, 40 seat, you know, quick turnover type uh, Mexican restaurant. Now we have this high end, uh, higher end, you know, Mexican restaurant where, you know, we're getting people at, at Milagro, we do 50% of our business on Friday and Saturday nights because people felt, you know, it wasn't the place to take your kids after, after soccer practice and Webster, just like Kirkwood is a very family, uh, you know, fam family driven area. Um, and, and lunches were terrible. Webster just doesn't do much lunch. There's no business there. And, you know, we'd get, um, just, you know, retired people and, and, you know, moms whose kids are at school and they're not working. It was just, it was just really, you know, you yeah, you just don't get that robust lunch. Like if you're in downtown Clayton or just downtown where you've got all of that, all, all everyone working and, and eating out. Um, so we're like, man, what do we do? What do we, we need to create like just this fun place. That's not it's sort of Mexican, but it doesn't have to be. And, 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 you know, it has a good bar program. Uh, I know I'm talking to a lot of underage people, but in the restaurant <laughs> business, um, you know, as far as sales, you get a much higher margin on alcohol sales than food sales. For instance, your, your food, you know, if you sell $10 worth of food, it's, you run about a 30 to 33% cost. Um, whereas uh, for alcohol, you're in like the low 20s. So you've got a better margin there. Um, so then that was it. We were like, man, all right, cool. Let's come up with this cool concept. And it was Mission Taco Joint. And that's how it started. We, we wanted to find an area um, that, you know, had nightlife and people there every day. And, and the, the loop was it. I mean, it was a, a no brainer. Once, uh, once uh, the location opened up, we jumped right on it and that was it. And we took off from there. We opened that store in 2013. Um, we opened our second store in Sular. That store, uh, I got a small business loan. It was actually the first two restaurants were completely just self-funded um, I think for Milagro, I got a little loan from the landlord, some some tenant improvement dollars. Gotcha. Um, but for the most part, we did all the work ourselves and uh, and 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 opened them pretty cheaply. For Delmar, uh, we got a small business loan, so you know I had to put my house up. I at that time I I'd married, I was married and had a, had a kid, and and it was getting riskier, right? I'm not I'm not now opening businesses where it's just me, and I have to be concerned about my family at this point. Um, but we got the small business loan and it paid off. And uh, uh, once that restaurant took off, I was actually able to build an, an investment group. So all the future missions have been um, funded by an investment group that I basically kind of sold off part of the company to. Um, and we opened what, Sealard and two years later, a year after that, uh, our Central West End location. Uh, a year after that, we opened two, one in St. Charles and one in Kansas City. And then a year after that, we opened our second in Kansas City. So in six years, we had opened uh, six Mission Taco joints across Missouri. Pretty cool. Yeah, that's really cool. We've got a lot of young, aspiring entrepreneurs and kind of branders and marketers uh, tuned in kind of through mm -hmm. this class. Cool. Hey, buddy. How are you? Hey, what's up, little guy? Uh, I love you, too. You want to say a quick hi? <laughs> hi. Hi. How are you? 
What's your name? He can't hear you. What's your name? Oh, okay. <laughs> Will. Will. Hey, Will. I got a Will. I have a son, Will. He says he's got a son, Will, too. I, I've got a son named Will. Is that cool? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Do you need something? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh the at-home life right <laughs> yeah so i'm i so we actually own a building right behind the soccer dome in webster right okay. behind uh off kirkham mm -hmm. and we have our corporate offices and then a big commissary kitchen we do all of our catering so i'm lucky i have i have a very i have a, you know all, all the rest of our office staff is working from home and stuff but i i get to come up here and <laughs> some quiet time which is nice Awesome. <laughs> my, yeah. my kids are really young so they would bug me a lot <laughs> yeah they uh they think it's fun to kind of peek in and whenever sure. i'm on here and say hi so so kind of getting back to like the development of the original mission taco brand can you talk a little mm -hmm. bit about like how you built some of the the fundamentals that you guys still really live by and it kind of drives your passion and excitement today as you were kind of creating the initial uh brand you had your direction it sounds like lots of the things from your history maybe were built into that and things that yeah. you're really passionate about? Yeah, quite a bit. I mean, one of the reasons why we started doing Mexican in St. Louis is when we moved here in the mid 80s, there there wasn't any like real authentic Mexican, if you will. I, I try I tend to try not to use the word authentic very often because what is authentic, you know, I mean, it, it means so many different things. And everyone has a different opinion on what authentic Mexican food should be that like, you know, it was a lot of places like El Maguey, which is fine. El Maguey is great. You get a giant plate of Mexican-ish food for, you know, seven, eight dollars, but it's not really what they eat in Mexico. It's 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 what Mexicans that have moved to St. Louis were able to get at the time because you just, you know, back in the uh, 80s, 90s um, or, you know, early 2000s, you just the culinary scene wasn't what it is today. You couldn't get a lot of the ingredients, you know, you, you couldn't get Chihuahua cheese and Cotija and, you know, fresh poblano peppers and anchos it just wasn't readily available. So, mm -hmm. you know, they would use mozzarella in their quesadillas, which is also really cheap, mm -hmm. um, you know, iceberg lettuce and, and things like that. So it was kind of just, I, I like to call it a Merimex and there was a lot of that. So, um, you know, we were like, all right, cool, let's try to do, you know, let's try to bring this California style Mexican food that, that we had growing up to St. Louis. And that was what Tortilleria was and Milagro was like regional Mexican cuisine. And then with Mission, it was like, all right. So, you know, when we spent time in San Francisco, there was this really cool area, the, the Mission District of San Francisco. And I kind of liken it to, you know, it's on, on a smaller scale, Cherokee Street is similar where you had a very big, uh, Mexican population and a lot of cool uh, little hole-in-the-wall Mexican places like like little taquerias and, and burrito shops actually uh, the the large Chipotle style burritos it's called a mission style burrito they they came from the mission district in San Francisco um, so you have you have that but then what you also had was and I know the G word is terrible but you have some gentrification going on where you'd get, you know, like you'd have this cool little taqueria and right next to that was, um, you know, like a, a, a really fun cocktail bar. And we're like, all right, we're going to, we're going to mash that up. We're going to, we're going to, you know, we're going to create this really cool cocktail bar and, and have an agave focused tequila and mezcal. Mm -hmm. um, and, but instead of like your typical bar food, like if you go to the loop to any bar there, you get 
burgers and fried <laughs> chicken wings and you know just a bunch of fried stuff um and greasy stuff so we're like but well, we're gonna do the cool mexican food stuff that's like family style um you know you can share it you can have fun with it and that's kind of how mission started and, and uh, we, we ran with the name mission taco joint um you know you'll never see us I mean, it, it, it's a slip up if you see us see it, but you'll never see us say we're a Mexican restaurant. You'll never see us say we're authentic. Other people do. That's just part of the game. I mean, you know, we, we win best Mexican in St. Louis a lot. I prefer to win best taco, but um, I, I wish they would actually, uh, you know, on some of these polls, diversify a little bit because, you know, I think there's like eight different styles of pizza you can win, right. you know, thick crust, thin crust, but like, then it's just Mexican food. Like there's so much, there's such a big difference between Mexican, Tex-Mex, um, even like a, 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 a sit down Mexican restaurant versus Pacadilla, right? They're just, it's, so, it's totally different, but you know, whatever, we lump it all into Mexican food. <laughs> I'll work on changing that down the road. <laughs> um, so that was it. We, you know, we, we developed this cool bar program. We, we actually intended the first mission to just be a bar. We didn't have, we weren't going to be open for lunch. We didn't have any high chairs. And like two days after day one, we're like, all right, we, we need to get some high chairs. And, and then after like two weeks, we're like, all right, we need to open for lunch. <laughs> uh, this is, this is taking off and people, you know, people want to eat this all the time. So, um, yeah, we just grew it from there. That's cool. So just kind of rolling with the punches as things come, you've got a plan, but being super flexible as you go, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's that's the name of the game. You know, as an entrepreneur, I think you, you have to be flexible. I actually, man, you know, I, a lot of what I do now, man, I, I honestly, I don't run restaurants anymore. I run a management company that runs restaurants. So we have built a whole corporate team where I've got a director of administration who has an HR manager under her and, and handles all of our accounts payable and receivable and um, all of our contracts that we do. I've got a director of operations who has two culinary people, a beverage director under them, uh, a regional operations, and actually uh, two of our staff are, are Kirkwood High School grads. So. Um, that's cool that matters but it's kind of cool yeah, uh, they're they're excited they're excited to be opening in kirkwood uh for y'all for them um you know so really a lot of what i do is that and and most of these people have been have been people that have grown up through our restaurants so it's a lot of mentoring um that i do and one of the first things i tell them is you know every day when i wake up i i, I just i I, I say to myself, you don't know everything. What are you going to learn today? What can you do? What can you change? So we are constantly changing and tweaking, man, especially right now with our operations <laughs> completely flipped upside down, you know, going to an entirely different model from where we were, you know, six weeks ago. Uh, we're just constantly changing and adapting every day. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the stuff you guys have done? I, I've been following you kind of online as I've been watching you kind of empower the small business movement as a restaurant here in St. Louis, uh, but I don't know if all of our students have been as dialed in. Um, can you just talk about like the struggle of trying to completely flip your business model like that and um, just some of the growing pains you've gotten through and things you've learned and if there's anything you might even keep afterwards, um, assuming we even know what afterwards looks like, right? Yeah, right. Um, yeah, so we, 
you know, I think it was, what was it, Sunday the, the, the 15th, I think, is when uh, Pritzker shut down Illinois, basically. And, you know, we were watching that and, and, and trying to figure out what the best move was. So we actually decided even before, um, you know, any, any of the cities or, or counties shut, you know, issued the stay-at-home order that we were going to close. So we actually closed. We felt it was the socially responsible thing to do. And we closed, and it was also the timing of it was like, all right, if we're going to close and try to do this, let's do it early in the week, right? Our busiest time later in the week. So we closed on Monday and met with our management teams. And I mean, this is still hard for me to talk about, but we, we had over 400 employees and we had to lay off basically all of our hourly employees. So we laid off, um, you know, 309 people on Tuesday. And, and, and I'm sorry, it just said that's no, no, it sucks. Um, so so that was tough. We you know a lot of re every every restaurant is different. Every business is going to handle this differently. Um, for us, the mentality that I've taken is we need to do whatever we can to survive right now without being short-sighted as to how we make it through this and and get back open with our teams. So like some restaurant groups, they would let go a lot of their salaried managers because they're a lot higher um, in, in pay. Uh, for us, you know, it was how, how do you make that decision on what managers stay and what hourly people stay to try to, you know, keep this operation going? So we made the decision to let all the hourly people go. We knew that they would uh, hopefully be able to get unemployment and, and their benefits would be better even than, say, a higher, higher salary person. Um, uh, we did we did what we could for them. We paid them an extra week worth of wages to help them bridge that gap, which was a pretty big financial um, outlay for us without any money coming in. Um, and then we feed them daily. They can come in and get fifteen dollars worth of food every day, which they've been taking advantage of, which is cool. Um, so so then on Tuesday we got together with all our managers to to roll out how we would reopen on Wednesday with that takeout model. And we decided ultimately to close one of our stores in St. Louis, the Central West End, just because it's so close to Del Mar. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they'd just be competing for business. Uh, and then we closed one of our stores in Kansas City just because we don't have as many people out there to operate both stores. And that was it. We, we thought about some things that we could do. We, we decided to offer our whole menu at the time. Uh, but then we also added these taco kits. And those were really popular. We got a ton of press for those. You know, in this game, it's, it's what, what can you do to, to get sauce and feast magazine and the rft to to write a piece about you and keep your name out there and, and you know as a seven-year-old concept now we're not necessarily the cool newcomer on the block so um you know we get creative and one of the things we, we, we did these taco kits which are really cool we've never done those before you you know it's got a big tray of all the taco topping stuff tortillas chips salsa and then you choose a couple proteins and a couple sides um, and it feeds four people and those were super popular and then we did our margaritas to go uh, which was just slightly not <laughs> up to Missouri liquor license laws and that a little, kind of, a little bending involved right there's a little bit of bending um, and I can explain that the Missouri liquor law our, our, our liquor license allows us to sell obviously alcohol and, and mixed drinks at the store it only allows us to sell alcohol in its original packaging, manufacturer's packaging. 
um, which means like we could sell a bottle of beer with the top on, um, or we could sell an entire bottle of tequila, uh, but we couldn't take that tequila and mix it with lime juice and agave to make a margarita and sell it. And, and we, we, we tried, I mean, we even had, we, we got like milk jugs, you know, small milk style jugs that had the one time sealable caps. And we're like, no, 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 it's, it's sealed. But, you know, it, it didn't fly. So uh, they weren't actually, and, and everyone was doing it. I mean, Olive and Oak was doing it in Webster. I mean, everyone was trying to do this. It's survival mode at this point. Um, but someone ratted us out. We're big. You know, we're, we're and, and, and someone actually called the state and ratted us out. So at that point, they had to, they had to call me and say, hey, you're not supposed to do this. And then we quickly transitioned to a margarita kit, which was an entire bottle of tequila, we had to sell those for like eighty dollars because you have to sell the whole bottle and it just yeah. cost effective. You know, we were selling uh, quarts of margarita for twenty bucks and they were flying off the shelves. It was affordable, um, you know. And anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, it's crazy. It's it's just crazy. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully things are settling down. It, it looks like St. Louis has kind of got some of this under control, but it's going to be a slow process still. I think as we move forward. Yeah, it's going to be a slow process. I saw what uh, Parsons say he wants to open things up by May 4th. I think he's just, you know, appealing to mostly his rural base. Uh, mm -hmm. There's no way that St. Louis, St. Louis Kansas City can open up May 4th. Yeah. yeah. I know that um, news is news yeah, I mean, as far as like sales. Good. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, of course, it's the lose-lose, right? Because if what we're doing actually does flatten the curve, then you're going to have 50% of the people say, why did we do this? No one got sick. No one died. So, yeah. I don't know. It's, I try to stay out of politics. Yeah, me, it's not me too. That's not what I bring into my, my classroom. That's <laughs> not, a, it's not right, an angle right. I try to do. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. All right, um, let's talk about some a little more positive things as we kind of think about. Let's talk a little bit about the Kirkwood location and what it's. How do you guys yeah. decide when it's time? You've obviously put four stores here and a couple in, in KC. Like, how do you guys know when it's time mm -hmm. for a new store and a new location? And then let's talk about how you decided on the Kirkwood location because that location, that geographical spot, has has been a revolving door for the last ten or fifteen years. Uh, that's as long, at least as long as I've been. Sure. In yeah, you know, so, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you that uh, I hear that a lot. When we opened Milagro, it had been, you know, two places. It's like, oh, my God, that place is, it's, it's turned over so many times. This is a bad spot. I mean, there is definitely bad location. Milagro yeah. itself was a terrible location. That's the one that, that was, on, it was on the back of the building there by the alley. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, by the train tracks. We, we you couldn't there, even we, see we, it from the street. Times, yeah. Yeah, you couldn't see it from the street. Um, you know, I had no visibility. Webster, unlike Kirkwood, downtown Webster had, still has a little more of that, like, I don't know, small town feel, I guess. Whereas Kirkwood, you can, you know, you've, I mean, Kirkwood Road is Lindbergh, right? It's kind of a major road and you have um, Manchester and Watson and Forty and there's just a lot more, uh, you know, it's two lanes for the majority of it. Whereas Webster, you really kind of get into to downtown Webster and it it just feels more bedroom community um, you know two-lane roads you're driving by houses so you just don't get as many people there and, and plus the fact that it was hidden but we still I mean we survived our lease we extended our lease so in a terrible location so point being is that 
80% of restaurants fail in the first three years. Any restaurant location is going to turn over. That's just what they do, you know? Um, so we weren't, we weren't scared of that. I mean, even the, I mean, the brewery operation had been there. I don't know. When did it first open is Allendale, I think. Um, we moved, I moved into the St. Louis area like in 05. And yeah. I, I think it was that, but I don't know how long it had maybe been there. Yeah, but even Allendale, like they just sold it to the Kirkwood Station Brewing guys right. and retained some ownership. So it was still kind of the similar kind of transfer. Concept. Yeah. Yeah. So as far as how we decide, um, I don't know. I haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's 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 honestly, it's just like, all right, where are we right now? How are our current operations? Are we ready? And then other than that, I just, I have general areas that, I think a mission would be good in, in it's, and if you notice, the first three locations we opened were in the city, and we jumped all the way out to St. Charles for the fourth. We skipped yeah. the county completely. Mission Taco Joint is a place that thrives where people are going out and eating Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, right? We're, we're kind of, um, we, we, we feed a lot of people and we need a lot of volume. So really in the county, uh, I mean, I having Milagro and Webster for eight years, I had downtown Kirkwood envy, right? For restaurants, like the restaurants in downtown Kirkwood just do way mm -hmm. better in sales than in downtown Webster for all of those reasons I mentioned earlier, more parking, walkability, shopping, uh, major roads, things like that. Um, and, and to give you an example, and, and don't quote me on this, but last I heard the Dewey's in downtown Kirkwood, did about three times the amount of business as the Dewey's and Webster. That doesn't, that doesn't surprise me. We, uh, yeah. We've got about the same amount of drive to both. It's our favorite pizza spot, and we will do takeout from the Webster location sometimes just because it's easier to get in and out of. And right. It's less it's not busy. busy. Yep. Yeah. I mean, when I'm, when I'm over at Kirkwood checking on construction at 4.30, I mean, the place is already like half full and people yeah. taking stuff out. You drive by Webster at 5.30 and it's kind of empty. And it's just... You know, so that's 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 where you talk about location. You know, there's two things to look at location. There's general location, you know, like what area, mm -hmm. and then there's the physical location. Whereas in in Webster, we kind of didn't have either of those. We had a terrible physical location hidden behind, you know, the building by the tracks, and mm -hmm. then in general, that area of Webster just doesn't get a ton of people down there. You know, if you go to downtown Kirkwood at any time, well, not right now, but typically, I mean, there's just buzz. People are yeah. walking around yeah. at three o'clock in the afternoon. It's, it's a, a cool good happening area. place. So, so that's exact. that's what we're looking for. We're looking for more of those urban style areas where people are walking around, they're hanging out, um, you know, and there's just a lot of density. So downtown Kirkwood, I mean, I've been looking there. I, I was looking at this spot three years ago um, I don't know how many people on the Zoom call were inside prior, but on the right side of the, when you walked in, it was kind of divided right and left. Mm -hmm. On the right side in the back was the brewery, and then the front was just a little bar dining room, and that's what they used for their dining most of the time. The left side of the building sat dark, you know, most of the week. I think they opened it up like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, for, they did like you know, some live music bands. and bands. Yeah, and stuff, some live yeah. music and stuff. But I'm like, man, this is like, this is the most underutilized real estate in downtown Kirkwood right now. And this space is massive. So I had my real estate broker reaching out to the owner of the building and the owner of Kirkwood Station Brewing saying, hey, if you want to subdivide this, 
you want to chop off this, you know, 4,000 square feet, we'll rent this and, and build a mission in there because most of our stores are right in that, you know, 4,000 to 4,500 square feet mark. Um, but they never, they never did. And then eventually they closed, but we looked at in downtown Kirkwood, we looked at, uh, where Wasabi is now. I think it was, it was five star burgers. Yeah. We looked at where pie was, but that's, um, that's not where we wanted to be. Yeah, there's no parking there. And even where the wasabi is, you know, you're, you're kind of outside of that dense Walk, core area. Yeah, where, where it's, and it's really, I, I, um, it's really where it goes down to two lanes where they allow the parking kind of from like West Adams mm -hmm. to um, uh, Kirkwood Station um, is really, you know, you need to be right in that area uh, to, to hit all of those things, the nightlife, the walkability, the lunch and stuff. So, um, so tell us yeah, a little bit about places. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the like your how you guys came up with the idea to do the arcade kind of concept. That's not something you guys have ever done before, right? That's correct. So the space is huge. It's twelve thousand square feet. It's a massive, massive building. It's massive, way too big for a restaurant. I'm, maybe I'm an idiot for taking it, I don't know. Um, <laughs> so when we were initially looking at it, it was appealing not just to restaurants, but to local breweries, and St. Louis has an amazing um, local brewery scene, um, because I already had a little brewery in the back built in with mm -hmm. what most would consider like a little tasting room up front. So initially, when we were looking at it, um, we were, you know, a lot of different breweries. We partnered up. We're, I'm good friends with Kevin Lempton on Forehands, and he was looking to do something in the county. Um, so we were looking at taking the space together and kind of, you know, he would take the right side, we would take the left. The problem is, is that all the infrastructure was in the middle. You've got the massive bathrooms in the middle, the kitchen in the back in the middle, and the particular landlord there, Dan McInnes, um, he's a Kirkwood resident and it's the only building. He's not like a big landlord guy. He's not, a, he's, that's not what he does. He's a structural engineer. He owns this one building. So, you know, he, he didn't have, it's not like he's sitting on all this. He, he didn't want to put a ton of money into this building, building new bathrooms. Um, and that was, that was a bit of a challenge um, to try to figure out how this would get divided and make sense, you know, because you can't just, it would be one thing if, if it was a partnership, but when you have two businesses trying to go into a space like that, one of them could leave and who knows who the next neighbor is, you know? Right. So if you wanted to share bathrooms and things like, okay, well, what if the next person that comes in doesn't take care of them? And you just, there's a lot of things to consider. Um, so there were a lot of people interested in the space and there was another, we, we knew that there were several people that were willing to take the whole space. And that was more appealing to the landlord because he didn't have to put a ton of money into dividing it up, right? So once we figured that out, I reached out to Kevin. I'm like, hey man, we might have use for all of this. Do you care if we just make a run at it? He said, no. Uh, I called my brother up and um, one thing that we do is, is make all of our tortillas. We, we, we make our corn tortillas from scratch using like ancient methods of, uh, we take raw dent corn, we cook it, uh, steep it overnight, we grind it in this, I mean, it, it's a big modern machine now, a big stainless steel NSF certified machine, but the core of it are lava stones that we carve and actually grind this corn to make the masa. Um, and then we have a tortilla oven that we make the tortillas. 
well, that we do that operation here in Webster where I am now, and we're just kind of outgrowing it. We needed a new big tortilla oven to, for, to help our expansions. So we're like, all right, well, the previous tenant took all the brewery equipment. Now we just basically have a giant manufacturing room, gotcha. you know, and that's when we decided to um, take that space and make it our new tortilla or tortilla factory. So now we had the, the use for the left side of the building, which is going to be what I call Mission Taco proper. It'll be a 120-seat Mission Taco. The very back of it where the stage used to be is going to be a private event space where we can sit up to 60 people. Um, you know, have like AV capability and, and you can do meetings and showers and all sorts of stuff back there. Uh, we had use, obviously, the middle is the bathrooms and kitchen. We had use for the, the back right, which was going to be the tortilla. And we're like, all right, what do we do with this little space up front? And that was the question mark. Like, okay, we, we got to figure out something here. Um, so, honestly, both of us, we, we love this up-down concept. Up-down is uh, uh, basically an arcade bar, and they just opened one in the central west end caddy corner to our Mission Taco joint location there. But we had been going to the one in Kansas City, which is close to our first Kansas City location. And it's fun. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a I mean... I played Call of Duty last night. I'm a, I'm a video game player, um, and and I, I miss you know I miss the old games, Pac-Man, Galaga, and, and Donkey Kong, and kind of this retro arcade concept. Yeah, like, all the, all all the retro games tap back into our childhood are super popular. Yeah, exactly. Again. Yeah, I mean we'll have you know we'll have uh, I mean it's, what what do we have? We're gonna have Mortal Kombat, Teenage uh, Mutant uh, Ninja Turtles. We do have a 2020 Golden Tee. You have to get a new Golden Tee. Um, all the video games have been delivered. They're just sitting there wrapped up. I'm like, I got to get the construction guys out of here so I can just bring my family and have my own personal arcade for the next couple months while we can't use it to the, for the public. <laughs> well, if you need um, us to come, you need us to come test it out, make sure everything works. Let me know. Yeah, I can bring, exactly. I can bring my class down one of these days. <laughs> yeah, we're we're still waiting on uh, six pinball machine games. Will be coming in and then four. Um, so that was it. So, so now we had an idea kind of to, to put, to use this, we didn't want to put a dining room in there. Um, but we had an idea to how to fill the space, with these games and make something really cool that we thought, uh, you know, Kirkwood would enjoy. Um, but we also wanted, we also decided to use that space as a test kitchen and bar. So that's kind of, that's kind of cool. Um, and it'll be very unique to that space. It has its, the arcade has its own little bar and you'll find our regular margarita and Paloma, but then it'll also be a place where our beverage director, you know, as you grow to six locations, it's very difficult to just create new drinks and change menus without trying them, right? It's easy if you have one location, you try it for a couple nights. If it doesn't work, you just stop doing it. But for us, we have to roll this out over six locations. You know, we've got to have standard operating procedures. You know, we have to get product into each store. So it's a lot more difficult rolling new stuff out. Mm -hmm. um, so now we'll be able to do that with the test bar. We'll be able to test things there. And then the test kitchen as well. We'll test out um, new food items that you might end up seeing um, at the restaurant. And we've also talked about fun things like, Maybe you'll see a, a smash burger pop up in there for a month or a fried chicken pop up. I mean, it's our, it's our place. It's got its own little tiny kitchen. Right. Um, you'll right. walk up. It'll be very casual. It won't be full service. You'll order at the bar. Um, you'll get a text when your order's ready, and you'll literally walk right up to this little window and pick up your food. 
that's cool that's it pretty cool i don't know yeah. it just sort of just sort of morphed into this thing and, and made sense i don't know <laughs> when um when were you planning on opening would you guys be open right now if we wouldn't have had uh the coronavirus going on yeah our target opening date was monday okay. yep april 20th we were, we were planning on starting training april 1st and we were going to open April 20th to get, you know, a couple weeks in before Cinco de Mayo. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, and since then, construction slowed down, right. you know, since this kind of hit. Yeah, I mean, there was no rush at that point. Um, they were trying to really rush to get it done. And, uh, you know, we got some hiccups with our front area, the city of Kirkwood, um, the architectural review board can be very persnickety as far as designs <laughs> and stuff like that um they they wanted to fit their plan which i understand uh having a master plan for your city is important um uh but yeah i mean you know the electrician had a fever and stayed out for two weeks right i mean right. it's just what it was so it wasn't it wasn't a huge rush anymore i've got a couple uh questions from the kiddos kind of coming in here um cool. are you gonna are you gonna guys gonna continue to think about expanding outside of the state Will you always cell phone or do you think you might look at a franchising model down the road? Um, we've talked about franchising a lot and, you know, it's my opinion that franchising works very well. Uh, it works a lot better for quick service models. Okay. So uh, crushed red is a great one in Kirkwood crushed red. Um, my, my brother, Jason actually developed the original crushed red with the current owners and did the menu. So I'm, I'm familiar with the concept, but they built that model to franchise it. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, all of their, basically most of the things they have, their, you know, they're, their recipes, like the salad dressings, but they're all made elsewhere and delivered to the stores, right? So you're, you're, when you franchise, you lose that control. You're, you're, you're giving the control of the operations to someone else. So the more that you can um standardize and really um hone that in that the better it's going to be so that's why you'll see most in my opinion franchises be more of these quick service models um you're not going to see a lot of bar programs and things like that so i don't know that i don't know that i would trust an operator in chicago running a mission taco joint how i want to run it because to me mission taco joint isn't just a restaurant it's an experience and there's so much that goes into that from the lighting levels the the music that we're playing and the music levels and adjusting those as it gets busier throughout the night um that we've really kind of created an experience not just going and grabbing a quick bite of crushed red Right. So um, I don't think we'll franchise as far as uh, outside the state. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what I, once we opened Kansas City, I realized how difficult it is operating something that's not in your city. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it's I, I can get in my car and be there in three and a half hours if I need to. But it's just not the same. It's I can't just go and pop into a store and, and get the vibe. And how is it going? And, and um, You know, what are we missing? So, so it's different now. Now a corporate team goes out there, and the and the stores are like ready for the corporate teams coming. We got to you know do everything perfect. So you're just not seeing it um, as 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 easy as you can in St. Louis. So it's it's proved challenging being out in Kansas City. Um, we, our marketplace isn't as good there. Our stores do not do as well as they do in St. Louis for a homegrown <laughs> brand. And man, I. 
not being from St. Louis, found out about this Highway 70 rival thing once, once we moved yeah. out there. I grew and up like, on they the other side, on. so. Yeah, they were, they were hating on us. Like, online, they're like, oh, Mission Taco Joint from St. Louis is opening. Like, oh, yeah, there you go. Got the Chiefs on. i like, hey, I'm a huge Chiefs fan. So. Um, uh, but, yeah, it was, it was crazy. Like, we were getting hated on. Like, oh, I'm never eating there. They're from St. Louis. I'm like, what are you talking about? What does yeah, this matter? It's, um, <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> I feel like I mean, the Rams leaving now. and the Chiefs having some success has actually helped bridge the gap a little bit. So, yeah, I, I mean, I get it now. I, I kind of feel like you know, kind of like Chicago, St. Louis, and Kansas City. I, I have I'm the middle of three brothers, right? So it's kind of like Chicago's the oldest, St. Louis, you know, St. Louis is middle, and Kansas City's the youngest, and everyone is like envious as you go up, right? Like we we've always St. Louis, we're always envious of Chicago, and there's the Blackhawks and all of that, and then. Yeah, I think KC just, I don't know, doesn't like that we're bigger, who knows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there might but be I love Kansas bit, City. There, there's definitely some jealousy there with, like, the Cardinals history and tradition going on. There, there's, there's, not, there's not a doubt about that, so. Yeah, but I do like Kansas City. Someone described the difference when I started spending a lot of time out there uh, that St. Louis was the last Midwestern city that had a um, East Coast vibe. And Kansas City is like the first Midwest city that has a West Coast vibe. And I'm a West Coast vibe guy. You can see skateboards behind me on the wall. And, uh, um, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense. Kansas City, it was cool to see when I went to Kansas City that people in Kansas City were actually wearing Kansas City hats. Not Chiefs. I mean, you're wearing a Chiefs right. shirt now. But they actually had pride in the city. Um, now that's starting to happen in St. Louis. But for a long time, St. Louis just... There was a lot of self-loathing, right? Like we just hated each other. Like it was the city and the county, like uh, everyone hates each other. And it's just like- a, this, where, did, where did you go to high school yeah. question, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, and in Kansas City, it was just like, everyone was just chill and, and, and seemed pretty relaxed and just happy. Just, just enjoyed Kansas City for being Kansas City. Not so much like a sports pride, but a city pride. But I think we're getting that now. We got a lot of cool- uh, STL style and yeah, arch apparel, uh, some other cool uh, arch other, apparel. Yeah. yeah, so our our city pride is 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 changing and relaxing. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, um, and I don't think I ever answered the the full question. Oh, okay. Um, yes, we our investment group. You know, it's it's a bunch of individuals, and um, they put up capital. You know, their money every time we open a store. So our growth right now is limited to kind of what they can do. Um, but we have, you know, we, we have been courted by you know, different, different groups, um, you know, who I, I just, right before all this went down coronavirus, I met with a group out of Salt Lake that that's what they do. They find, you know, small to medium concepts that they think they could help grow. And they've just got a huge fund, um, and, and a team that would help you grow, you know, and they want to, they want to open like five to 10 a year or something like that. So I can see that down the road, but I, I don't think we're, we're well, obviously even with coronavirus, uh, had that not happened, we're just not in that position yet. Right. That's kind of crazy to think about. It's just a different game. You go from being a small entrepreneur to a whole different kind of thing. Right. Um, just a couple, are you guys hiring right now at the Kirkwood location or do you have all that kind of done? Um, we have all of our management teams hired and they're, we, we kept them on and they're working in other stores. Then, it started um, interviewing 
and offering positions for cooks and servers. And then, but then we, we couldn't, we, I mean, we just can't hire anyone. You know, gotcha. The, I don't think we talked about that earlier, but our sales compared to where we were this time last year, we're operating at about 20 to 25% of what our sales were. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I, my brother and I, you know, we're, we haven't been on salary. We, you know, we, we haven't been taking money and it's, um, you know, our, our, our model for doing takeout, I'm, I'm stepping way back just cause I think it might be relevant to the conversation. Uh, yeah, I'm in a meeting right now. Sorry. One knock my door. Um, you know, it, it would have actually been a lot probably financially better if we would have just closed all of our stores completely and laid everyone off. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, then we would have to deal with rent utilities and really keep everything, you know, our, our expenses down. Um, but it would have been a lot harder to get back open when we come through the other side. Who do we lose? How many employees go elsewhere? Right. And that's why we kind of put it up to our management teams. Like, all right, for us to make this work, we have only have to cover two things. We have to cover payroll and the expenses of the food and product that we're selling. Those are the only two things I'm looking at because if we close completely, I still have to pay all those other things, rent, insurance, utilities. So if we can, if we can cover the cost of doing this, you know, let's, let's keep it open as long as we can. And we have been, we've been, they've been doing a good job. So um, that was kind of the, just uh, back to pre the previous conversation of the mentality of what, how we went into this. Um, in the arcade, I know that yeah. some of the arcade bars around town, they do like free gameplay during the week and then they charge on the weekends. How are you guys mm -hmm. going to do that? Uh, yeah, that was actually a big learning thing. There's two models uh, that people go with. Uh, so Start Bar and Parlor, which are in downtown in the Grove, they basically, they don't own their games. So they partner with a company that purchases all the games. It's great. You don't have any upfront cost. They, you don't pay for the games. You're basically just people are bringing the games in. You choose the games and then there's a 50, 50 split. So the uh, restaurant owner or arcade owner gets 50%. And then the person that supplies the games that that company uh, gets 50%. But the, the catch is they charge a dollar and it's every game. Um, so that's one model. Uh, again, the pluses of that are uh, you don't have to pay anything up front. Mm -hmm. The negatives are every game's a dollar um, and you split that money with someone else. The other model is what Updown does and they purchase all of their games and maintain them. Um, and they charge token, they, they do tokens and they have complete control over what they can do. So for us, we went that route um, we purchased all of our games. So we're, we'll be able to control our costs. So, and that allows us to have so much more flexibility. Like you said, like, mm -hmm. sure, we're not, we want to start getting people in earlier on Friday. So the first 20 people get 20 free tokens or something like that. Or we want to rent this space out for someone's birthday party and we don't want them to pay a dollar a game. So as part of the rental fee, they get unlimited tokens to play the game. And, uh, you know, that I, I figured by, you know, I always, I always make my estimates very low, but I, I think that we can get all the games paid off in the first year and then, you know, we're making money on them after that. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I know we're getting kind of tight on time and I'll let you get back to um, the day because I know you're busy. So 
Are there any skills or advice that you have for some of our students that are listening today that you are watching uh, as people are coming into the workplace that you feel that um, they really need to focus on and make sure that they're developing over the next year or two? That way uh, they're more easily and ready to work and hireable. It's a tough question. <laughs> we're, we're, Which industry? Are we, I mean, what well, are we, we can, we can talk industry? about? Let's talk about. We just talk about your industry in general because that's what you're a little more dialed into. Yeah, I mean, my industry seems sees two type of people. You know, my industry sees people who don't think it's 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 just a means to get something else accomplished, right? Like you're 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 going to college and you just need to make some extra cash. So um you've you've got that and then you've got the lifers the people that you know they get into the restaurant industry and um you know it just it, it just it, it, there's something about it just brings you in right and so we try um to get the lifers right the people that i mean we've got we've got servers that have worked with us you know since day one at our del mar store and, and all of our stores um and the reason why is that, you know, there's just, I mean, like I, when I was, I served in college and I just, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I just didn't care, right? I just didn't care about the job that much. So there's a difference there, I think, as far as, um, you know, what, what, what your, what the end game is. Um, but for us, we try to find people that are into this and, and then we, we try to promote from within. Um, so I'll give you a great example. Our, um, our director of operations, he started with us six years ago as our assistant bar manager at our Del Mar store. And at that point he was an hourly employee making tips with a little management stuff. Well, he's worked his way up and is our DO and he's going to pull in over a hundred grand this year. Um, and that's, that's awesome. Um, you know, so it's it's but but as far as this industry it's tough to you know find groups that can do that that can pay that there's not a lot of restaurant groups in st louis that can actually pay that type of stuff right you've got a lot right. of small restaurants where you know kind of the highest thing you could get to is maybe the gm or executive chef at that store um and then as as, as well with our industry i mean there's kind of two there's different avenues you can take you know we are not um I'll use Webster's Olive and Oak, right? I mean, I think many of you may, hopefully many people have heard of Olive and Oak. I mean, this place is winning like national awards for their food and is super high-end chef-driven type stuff. That's not what we do. Um, you know, we're, we're a volume game. We're consistency. Um, so, you know, you, you really, you know, like we, we wouldn't get any, super creative executive chefs come wanting to work for us. Um, that's my brother's job. He controls that for the entire company. We have kitchen managers and people that, you know, know how to manage people and are, and are looking for a career. The plus side of that for us is that we, like most restaurants, you hear this horror stories of managers working 60 to 70 hours a week. It absolutely is the case, especially for small restaurants that are open six, seven days a week and have um, small, smaller staffs, you know, those GMs, they're gonna be working six days and pulling, you know, 10, 12 hour days. Um, and it is a grind. It, 
it will beat you down. Um, for us, uh, Jason and I, Jason's my brother, we, when we started mission and, and started being successful in growing the group, we put a employee first mentality. Um, a lot of people in the restaurant business think that it's customer first. We took a different approach. We're employee first. And if we take care of our employees, they will in turn take care of the customers. Um, but you have to take care of the employees first. So our, our managers, they're only, they only work 40 to 45 hours a week. They typically get two days off in a row. Um, you know, we, we have paid vacation, uh, health benefits. Um, it's like working for a big boy company. It's pretty yeah, cool. That's pretty cool. There's just not a ton of small businesses or even restaurants that take that approach and, and most of them just can't afford it. I mean, we're That's, in a unique situation. Right. Yeah. And you guys, your food's probably a little bit more expensive than the guy next door. And that's probably how you are able to do some of that too, right? Where the guy next door, just in general? In or? general, yeah. Okay. I was going to say, because in Kirkwood, I think his food's more expensive. Than <laughs> not, not the literal um, taco next door. No. Yeah, no, honestly, um, we, our food, as far as food cost, mm -hmm. it, Price point is one thing. You really got to look at your food costs. We actually run a higher food cost than most restaurants. The um, national average is, you know, between 30 and 33%, I think, is what you want to go for. We, we actually run like a 35% food cost. So you're um, right in line with everybody. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a couple points high. I mean, we're talking points, you know, restaurants. If a restaurant is doing very, very well, it might see 10% profit margin. So the margins in restaurants are just very, very thin. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why most of them fail. Um, so, you know, if you're, if you're doing a million dollars in sales a year and you can hit a 10% margin, you're, you're pulling a hundred grand out of there, um, you know, and that's it. So. That's cool. um, but yeah, we, we can afford that just because of volume. I mean, the biggest thing, the biggest thing for restaurants is when do you have empty seats, right? I mean, if you go to a lot of restaurants, they're just empty a lot and Friday and Saturday they're packed. Mm -hmm. That's what's made mission. So successful. We figured out a place where we can pack it in on, you know, Monday lunch, Tuesday night. Uh, we do our late night. So we really hit three dining components, lunch, dinner, and late night. And we pack them in, um, and and it's a numbers game, uh, and that's that's kind of how we can do it. That's cool. Well, much appreciate the time today. Um, yeah. Best of luck to you navigating the continued uh, virus thing we've got going on, and uh, I can't wait for you guys to get open and get down and check out the store. So. Sounds good. I I, I only get to see a couple of people on here, but man, I want to. If you scroll, like, it looks, there, it looks there, like Caleb. It looks like Caleb Jones has about a six-pound largemouth in his hand. Yeah, he I said go, he, I want to go fishing with him. Limited out on his crappie this weekend, so he was uh, he was excited. So where is he fishing? Innsbruck or something? He said he, was out, he said he was out in St. Charles, but okay, all right. Um, I don't know where that bass is. I can't imagine that's out from St. Charles, but. <laughs> It's a beast. Yeah, it is. Awesome. <laughs> well, I really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for the time. And uh, we'll be following you. Oh, oh look, he sent me a message. Oh, I'll hook yeah. You up with he the says, spots. I'll hook you up with the spot. <laughs> yeah, I can see it. <laughs> awesome. Sweet. I awesome. like that trade. That sounds great. <laughs> well, well, awesome. Yeah, to, to all you guys. Yeah, yeah. please come visit us when we're open. And, uh, yeah, really appreciate it. Good luck with everything. Will do. Thanks, Adam. Take care.
All right. Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye. -bye. Thanks for joining us on episode five of the business office. Next week, I'm chatting with Jade Harrison, a 2015 KHS grad. Jade is working in the digital marketing space here in St. Louis. She did an internship in Ireland and is an amazing musician. In the meantime, don't forget to follow or subscribe on SoundCloud or Spotify. I'm Bryce Button, and thanks for joining us in the business office.